0: Right. Hopefully any minute now. Take two, Jeff Duckhorn, Redwood Empire. Uh, I am pumped about this. Thank you guys for coming back again this week. Uh, I know we had some, some sort of technical difficulties. Oh, there we go.
1: I have just admitted Jeff. Hopefully we are for real in a moment. Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you. I can't hear you. Let me make sure All right things set up here. I can definitely hear you. Okay, now I can
2: hear you. I don't know why it was muted. There we go. Zoom. Oh, oh because it's on the wrong. Oh,
1: okay. let's, let's fix this um, I have it now
0: I mean we're better than we were last week so this <laughs> is
2: okay, cool now you're on my speakers it was it was on the lap I have a laptop plugged into a dock so okay yeah right on.
0: This is awesome. First of all, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, Yeah, I've been excited for this all week, all day. Uh, It's good to see you again. Yeah,
2: great to see you, man. Where are you at? You're in the back office there?
0: Yeah, I'm in the office here. Uh, My fake little backdrop that we used to use. uh, During COVID, we were shooting video in our redemption center because they were all shut down. Right. Drop there, and I just kind of recycled it so you don't see the, the mess of the office behind me.
2: Yeah, yeah. Cool. Love it.
0: Um, Cool. Uh, I don't know which time we have, so I'll get right into things, um, you yeah, know, list of questions and kind of geeky stuff, because I'm fortunate where my customers love the brand, but they love the, the nuts and bolts and the geeky,
2: nerdy little details, so... Cool, love it, man. Yeah, I got I'm, I'm good on time, I got, I got an hour at least. So, perfect. Yeah, I want to
0: start out with the story of how you became master distiller, which I just thought was a great story, but I don't know that people know that story of how you started with Derek and how you became master distiller.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty unique. Although, I mean, I think if you talk to a lot of distillers, we kind of all have different paths to where we're at now. There just isn't a lot of formal education for distillers uh, in the US still today. I'm like winemaking and brewing where you can go out and get formal education. For us, a lot of it's on the job or somebody you knew or right place, right time. And that really is uh, what it was for myself. I, I started with our parent company, which was a wine company at the time back in 2011. And I was hired as a cost accountant, believe it or not. So nothing really to do with production, more you know, number crunching, Excel sheets, uh, managing uh, the cost of all of our, our wine projects, and then doing some other uh, financial stuff, general ledger uh, asset management as well. So, very, very much a financial, you know, accounting role. Um, and I, I've i done that for most of my professional career. I mean, I'm in my 40s now, and I was in my late 30s at the time. And it's fine. I mean, I like numbers, I've gone to school for that. Uh, but i'd I'd always kind of wanted to do something else and, and i do a lot of other stuff when i'm not working obviously like we all do but i i i feel like i'm a maker at heart and so i've been making stuff at home since you know before like beer i've been doing forever at home i lived in idaho for seven years and we did a lot of home brewing there and really fell in love with home brewing and and then just kind of branched out on different fermentations and so love making stuff, have a big backyard, love growing stuff, love, you know, all just getting my hands dirty. And especially when you're staring at uh, screens and spreadsheets all day, you really need a creative outlet. And so that's kind of where mine went. And, uh, and then we started, we sold our, our big wine brand in 2012 uh, a little less than a year after I'd been here uh, Mark West and um that kind of created this opportunity because Derek wanted to, or Derek, our owner, wanted to keep going with wine, but he also was really um, excited to diversify and get into the, the world of spirits. And he's a very passionate guy. He loves gin. That's kind of his, like, his spirit of choice. He has a house in Barcelona and Spain, and he loves the way that gin, it just has all the, yeah, there you go. You got a picture of the or a bottle of gin right there. So he really wanted to do a gin and he wanted to do spirits and he didn't know much about it. And so, uh, but he had money from the sale of this wine brand. So he said, let's, let's build a distillery and figure it out. And so that was kind of the company direction. And I quickly raised my hand and said, Hey, I want to be involved in that. You know, and I want to, I want to reinvent myself. And so we kind of talked about it. And they're like, yeah, you can be involved in the financial side of it. I was like, okay, that's cool. But actually, you know, I think I can do more. And I, really want to get my hands dirty and I'm, I'm not afraid to to learn and start at you know ground zero and so I just kept pushing and pushing and it took us a little longer to get built out you know planning in 12 starting to execute in 13 ordering stuff and you know 14 and fighting through permits and delays and whatnot and so we didn't get operational until uh spring of uh 2015 and uh by then the distiller that we had hired had been here over a year and he kind of decided that maybe this wasn't the right fit for him and so he decided to move on pretty uh pretty soon after we got up and running and that just uh, created this incredible opportunity for me and Derek was like okay well this guy's no longer with us we think he can step in and figure it out and so yeah so that was uh it was pretty sweet I mean you know sometimes things happen in life and you're, uh, you get something presented to you and you just got to you gotta take it and run with it. So that's definitely what I did. And I, I think it's worked out. Uh, I, I definitely did not know what I was doing early on, but fortunately uh, the owner and management were patient with us. I, I kind of paid some people internally to help us. And we had the wine side still, you know, supporting our, the, the business side of things. So we didn't have to quickly start churning out products and making money back. And I think that's really what, long-term has led itself to a lot of the success that we have with our brands. And in particular with Redwood, it's just that, that ability to be patient and to let things kind of, you know, slowly mature over time, whether it be, you know, you know, products or, or stuff in barrel or new ideas and just really to, to go slow. And so that's really paid off for us. And it's just, it's allowed me to learn a ton and to really do all of our whiskeys, the justice they deserve. So, yeah, so it's been really, really fun. I mean, so it's, believe we're seven years into it now seven and a half now it's pretty wild
0: wow and great success too uh you mentioned wine you're obviously part of a big wine name out there but you didn't really have anything to do
2: with the duckhorn wines at all no my my aunt and uncle founded the winery back in the late 70s and so that was you know not too long after i was born so it was always in the periphery uh i lived in napa for a number of years growing up so we would always visit I got the opportunity to work harvest there and, you know, do some like grunt work along the way, but never formally involved in the winery. But I mean, when something like that's happening in the background of your family, you're obviously aware of it and a huge amount of respect. And it really was, you know, kind of a driving force for that, uh, for me, as far as, you know, like, what, look at look at somebody did for, from nothing. And it was just pretty amazing to, to see the success they have. And so it really. You know, some influence from that standpoint of just watching this this uh, little winery grow up over the years into the juggernaut it is now. So very cool to see from the from the sidelines, so to speak.
0: So I just read the article in the Whiskey Advocate about sort of the wine relation in California, and I didn't realize that Warren was from Patton Hall.
2: Yeah, it's pretty pretty wild, right? So. Yeah it's pretty fun we go out of market together and it's a lot of fun so yeah her her parents uh founded Patson Hall and they've since sold that off as well so we've got a, a you know Patson and a Duckhorn uh leaving the charge in the next you know the next uh you know I don't know evolution of of spirits you know or, or you know alcohol in Sonoma County and, and west you know you know wine region so it's pretty fun. Was
0: she involved in wine at
2: all in the family or was her story like yours? Not really. Kind of similar story where it, it, it sold off before she was really deep in her professional career. But I mean, she grew up, she much more heavily grew up with the business of her parents. So she was around it growing up for sure. Uh, but not really so much professionally involved. Uh, she's got like, she's got a pretty fun background too. She's she, chocolate making and, and uh, Japanese, uh, you know, lived in Japan for a while and taught, uh, you know, a foreign language. And so, yeah, you know, you pick 10 distillers and you figure out, you ask them what their, their backgrounds are. And it's pretty wild, unless you have a legacy family, you know, program going on, which most people don't, it's, we all kind of have these crazy different backgrounds, whether it be in engineering or, you know, very different uh, fields in what we're doing now. So
0: when I met you, is it six months ago, seven months ago? one of the things that stood out was you saying you wanted to be the master blender. And that sort of set me on this sort of rabbit hole of being more fascinated with the blending. Uh, And I've got a whole bunch of questions of like, looking at the mash bills, even the mash bills of the bottled and bond, like how do you kind of pick that mash bill? Um, You know, looking at one and a half percent wheat, like I'm always fascinated, like one isn't enough, two is too much, like, yeah, that that percentage. How do you figure out a mash bill, and and how do you put the, the whole blend together? What's the the mindset and the science there?
2: Sure, sure. I mean, I, early on, again, we had uh, really very little idea what we were doing, and we had a I, I personally had a pretty big uh, runway of what to do, and so uh, we, we have this kind of cool continuous column. Still, this is a virtual background behind me here, but it's a it's a, a 12 inch diameter, 18 foot tall, continuous column. Uh, and it's, it's really fun to run, but we didn't really know exactly what we wanted to, uh, to focus on. And so we really spent the better part of 2015 just running different products through it. I mean, we ran brandy through it, but mostly whiskey. And in the whiskey world, you know, we started with doing just single grain uh, fermentations, like 100% corn, 100% wheat, 100% rye. We did some malted rye, we did malt barley, and just seeing kind of what those on their own tasted like coming off the still is fermented wash. And then uh, I'm a huge fan of malts and, you know, having this brewer background. So I, I really, I'm, I'm always pushing for for what other malt can we put in there and what malts out there. And, and it's just a beautiful time in our, and especially where we're at in, in uh, West coast for, for uh, specialty malts. So you can get all these really fun varieties. And I, I just love the, complexity of those ads. So pretty early on, we figured out that component of that. Ooh, malt could do this fun thing for us uh, and really add some fun textures. And then you know, I like the spice of rye. Uh, and so really enjoyed that. Yeah. So we just kind of started playing with these individual grains and then layering in to come up with our mash bills. And eventually we standardized and we have kind of our two standard mash bills that we run the majority of the time. And so for bourbon, it's 72 corn, 18 rye, five barley, and then five wheat. Uh, I just, I love the way that wheat plays even at 5%. Uh, adds a really nice component to it. Uh, and then our uh, rye mash bill by and large is 90% rye, five barley, and again, five wheat. So it's a three grain on the rye. And so that's what we do on a regular basis. That's probably um, you know like three quarters of the time. And then the rest of the time uh, we, we do variations on that. And so we'll do a high rye bourbon or a weeded bourbon, or we'll do a rye with some other things in it, like a ton more malt or maybe a little bit more wheat in it. And we just continue to play. And as, since Lauren has been here, which is since last January, she's also, uh, you know, kind of up the ante and she loves wheat. And so we've added more and more wheat and we, we're playing more with Trita Kaylee and some other grains. And so uh, I just, I mean, early on, we kind of started doing it that way and, and didn't really, nobody told us not to. And we kind of maybe even took like a, a winemaker approach to it, where hey, let's make some different blends and put them down in barrel, and then we'll have really interesting stuff to play with later, and we can blend and use a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that, and that'll just give us um, you know a, a wider variety of of, of uh, whiskeys to play with, and and because of you know really what we do in the in the whiskey world, I mean you're pretty limited on blending after the fact, you, you can only blend within categories. So you can only blend bourbon with bourbon or rye with rye, unless you wanna, you know, broaden that category out and call it just, you know, a blended whiskey or American whiskey or, you know, kind of product. So for us, we really have to make our decisions when we're mashing, which is a little bit daunting because you're like, okay, I'm gonna decide what a whiskey is going to taste like, you know, five years from now today by ordering this grain. And so, I really like the flexibility of having different mash bills to help, you know, just create those complexity. Uh, and it's it's a super fun when it comes time to taste through it too.
0: Does it get more costly
2: to run a whole bunch of different mash bills? Um, not not if you do it right. I mean, I'm pretty organized because of the, the accounting background. I, I, I lay out, I order material out, um, you know, at least three and usually six months out ahead of time. So as long as you're batching stuff correctly, your costs are pretty much in line. Uh, most of our barley we're still ordering as 50 pound bags and we're adding those individually you know 48 bags per batch. Uh, the other things are actually um, they are being blended and milled for us at our, our grain supplier, which is now uh, a company out of Sacramento called, called Adams grain. So all the raw grains. so as long as we have it you know do it ahead of time, they, they they mill and they blend it for us and then they create the bags and they ship them down in these two thousand pound bags so it's just more of a time logistics thing as opposed to cost well so speaking yeah. of blending were you part of this oh yeah yeah so so that is a very similar blend to what's in the current lost monarch that has a portion of port finished rye and we, uh, we, we took that out once we we launched, relaunched, we launched with the Lost Monarch, but a very similar blend. You know, The rye to bourbon proportion is about the same as it was in that. And so that was at the time we were in 2016, we kind of started talking about launching our first whiskey. At that point, uh, the ryes were definitely more mature than the bourbons. We had bought more MGP rye, so we had more rye to play with. And I just personally loved rye. And I, I really, I thought we were gonna be able to produce a far better Whiskey for the marketplace. If we kind of had let rye be the predominant characteristic, and so that's kind of where that guy came from. Now, is there any difference between batch one and batch two of of what of Uh, that? Oh yeah, I mean, there's you know, I think batch one had less of our grain to glass in it because we just didn't have enough available. So, uh, I mean, we're we're on batch nineteen now. I think of pipe dream and every batch is going to be slightly different. That's just the, the nature of the game. My goal is to make the, the, the differences um, gradual over time. And so I will never consume a whole lot of one thing so I don't have it available for future blends. So I try to slowly consume one, something, one thing down and then bring something new slowly up over time so that we're gradually adding, whether it's a new distillery or a new mash bill or some other new technique, like we've changed our cooperages over the years. I wanna blend those in and blend those out over time. But you are definitely going to notice changes with us over time. That's just with any distillery, I, I would imagine you know, if you don't notice that, then there, I would be surprised. I mean, we're all continuing to grow and evolve and try new things. So, so yeah, batch to batch, there's going to be differences. Very cool. Um, I, the core line, which I think we brought in
0: two years ago, three years ago, it's been a, a winner for us. Lost Monarch is my gem. Uh, we've done, you know, whiskey challenges the last two years and it's played out to be the best whiskey under 35 bucks in the store uh, for two years running. I, I, we sell a ton of it. People love it. And I love the fact that it's a blended whiskey or American whiskey. It's not bourbon. It's not rye. And I think what makes it work is the fact that we have the bourbon, we have the rye. And then you have the Lost Monarch, which is the combination of the oh. two, people can see them in the set because American whiskey on its own is, is sometimes a tough sell. Um, was that a conscious decision to put all three of those kind of out of bourbon awry and then a blend of the two?
2: Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I love to hear that it's doing well. and Thank you for that. That's great. I mean, obviously, you know, more than I having to sell American whiskey that it can be a challenge. And Uh, It it was really my first baby because it was that American whiskey that that you just held up. And then we knew we were going to launch a bourbon and a rye once we had enough whiskey available, both our own stuff and sourced whiskeys that were the proper age. We knew we were going to launch a bourbon, but we wanted to wait until we had really quality ingredients of enough age where we could launch a bourbon and then same with a rye. And so we were going to launch those, but uh, we wanted to keep, you know, the blend as well because people liked it. And so... We decided to launch all three together, you know, change the the face of the blend and make it this lost monarch where it was at American Whiskey before and then add a bourbon and a rye side by side. And we were all kind of had our own opinions on what was going to happen to the blend. I was a little nervous. I mean, there was talk that it was just going to get cannibalized by the other two because it's such a nebulous category and a lot of people just don't understand it. And I've been very pleasantly surprised that uh, it's it's really stood up. I think we actually sell more of the blend than we do of the rye. We definitely sell a lot more bourbon than anything else, and that's just the world we're in. But yeah, it's done really well. I think it just kind of hits that, like you said, it's 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 not the bourbon, it's not the rye, it's a combination of the two. It's also very versatile. I mean, people can blend with it. It, it is it is it is a rye. You know, technically, it's majority rye in the blend. You just can't call it a rye, but it's. It's a low rye, right? It's like a more like a Kentucky rye with a high bourbon content. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a nice softer rye, you know, but it's just fun. I mean, it's got all, it's got really some nice complex notes. I, you know, I think the, the biggest challenge is just, is educating people on this, this new world of blend as it continues to evolve and go up market and, and the quality gets better. And we get away from the, what the classic sense of blend is, is, you know, like Seagram's or, you know, like. A shitty uh, Canadian whiskey, or you know, the the blend of, of yesterday, yesterday. Is there a
0: classification for that? Because I thought I read, because uh, St. George does the baller the blend, and I, I thought I read somewhere there was like a grade A blend or like a
2: a level of blended American whiskey. Is there's, it... there's, there's different classifications, you know, based on what you want to do, and so ours is a blend of straight whiskeys, and so that just means that you can. You have to start with straight whiskeys and then you can blend them together. You you know, if you want to call just American whiskey or a blend of whiskeys and they don't have to be straight. And then so that opens you up to being able to do more things with those whiskeys. And so there's a lot of different classifications. And then there's kind of this whiskey uh, other, you know, or specialty spirit even beyond that other category. And that's where, that's where you fall into the world of of things like fireball and that whole other world that's very, very nebulous that, are products that might may or may not even have majority whiskey in you know? them. And so that's, I think that's the hard thing with this category right now is, is educating people on, you know, w- what is what, so that when you pick up a bottle and you're, you're buying a bottle of whiskey versus buying, you know, something that's that's uh, more of a shop brand or it's just a different product for a different occasion.
0: Yeah, I find that the three cores, they feed each other. People tried the Lost Monarch, they really like it. And then they go back and try the bourbon. Well, they try the bourbon, then they try the rye, and then they want to try the lost. They almost kind of feed
2: each other all together. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I'm super fortunate. I didn't come up with the branding and the the artwork, but it really is really what makes all of this go. I mean, it's obviously super important that the liquid is good at the end of the day. Otherwise, people are not going to buy it again. But they're only going to buy it the first time if they it's got some appeal to it, you know, unless they've heard from somebody or, you know, it's a word of mouth. But a lot of these things are consumers buying something based on, on site, you know? And so, yeah, it's so nice to have these cool packages side-by-side. Side. And uh, we call it the forest when the three of them are side-by-side side, and we really push for that where we can because I think it tells a better, better story. We know internally that our sales do much, much better when they're side-by-side side because to your point, you know, people want to, they want they want validation that something's good, right? And if they're gonna try one, they're like, okay, that's good. Then the others are right there. And and that goes not just for us, but a lot of other brands out there. Uh, I I took some time off due to COVID and didn't travel. And actually your trip, you know, the trip up to CU and I was in New York as well in the spring, that was my first time out in a couple of years. I'm definitely noticing that there's less um, a rye and a bourbon set as defined and more, you're seeing more like families of products, you know, it's categorized together based on, on the producer. yeah. as more of us producers have families now. And that's, that's helpful because as a, as a consumer, you're like, cool, I tried their bourbon. It was great. What else do they have? Yeah. Having to look around, you know, in, in that category. And that's so, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely helped us. I think it's kind of a fun thing to, to have. And as we continue to expand out our portfolio, it, it's great when you see the bottle and bond next to those, and then we're getting ready to release our cast strength version of the core. so we'll have, Another package that can potentially sit side by side with those and just kind of help, you know, uh, increase the, the footprint of that and, and have a nice, you know, tight set that you can see on the shelf. Yeah. Um, one more question on the, the Lost Marlock. So it's is about fifty five forty five 45 bourbon, uh, rye to bourbon. Yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's what the blend, uh, I mean, there's a lot of numbers in there. I think it's still 60% of the actual grain is rye because it's, you know, 45% uh, bourbons 55% rise, but the rise have more rye in them. And then the bourbon actually has a little rye in it too. So that even brings the rye up higher. So, you know, we're somewhere around there. Yeah, so it's, you know, we just say we're majority rye, somewhere between 55 to 60% is, is kind of where it changes a little bit blend to blend based on what we have available at that specific time. That's kind of my target.
0: Okay.
2: And is it the actual pipe dream?
0: And uh, Emerald Giant that are in the Lost Monarch, like, you don't know, alter the bourbon
2: or the rye? No, it's it's not the actual. There is some younger rye in it. So the, the Emerald Giant is a four-year minimum age statement. The Lost Monarch is a three-year. So we are using a little bit of younger rye in there. Um, and we're not using quite as much of the really old and uh, some of the, the sourced bourbon that's from other places in the world. Um, there's no Tennessee bourbon in the Lost Monarch. So there's a couple components in there that we hold back uh, and or we add a little bit more of that younger rye just to, based on the blend. So it's not, you can't take a bottle of pipe dream and a bottle of amyloge and blend them together and you get lost water. Close. there's a lot of the same components but it's not a one-to-one. Yeah, It doesn't come out quite the same. Yeah. So yeah, bottle and bond. I mean,
0: this year's batch is just mind-blowingly good. Um, four grains on both of them? Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Fred Minnick, who the words? Holy shit balls, I think he said.
2: I know that, that definitely made my day. It's pretty fun to, to when you get, I mean, hey, we'll take everything we can get. You know, we're, you just don't know. Like I, like you said, we started making whiskey in 2015. I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I've learned a lot along the way. I've gotten a lot of education. I've gone out and gotten, I've gotten to do week-long workshops with Pickerel, uh, while he was still with us and, and other people. And just, you know, you just, and also just a lot of trial and error. Uh, and then and then we started doing our blends. And it's one thing to, to buy whiskey from other places like Indiana and Kentucky and blend in your stuff and have this nice, fun, complex product where you have some of yours, some of that, some other stuff, and it all kind of blends and works together. And it's another thing to be like, okay, this is 100% what we did for a little window of time. And we're going to put it in a bottle, release it, and I hope you like it. You know, like, so... I I was pretty darn nervous when we were talking about uh, launching batch one. I actually pushed them to go out an additional year and move to a five year because we could have done a four year ball and bond. And I just really wanted it to be a cut above and, and we had the opportunity to wait and they they let me wait. So I'm like, let's just wait one more year, especially with the bourbon. Like we were a little bit more temperate climate here. So it just, it really was not quite ready at four years. Uh, And So yeah, but it's thing you just get in the bottle and you just hope for it. And I mean, batch one was super exciting for us just to get it out to market, but that was whiskeys that were made in the spring of 2016. So, barely a year after we'd been distilling. And so, to say we knew what we were doing uh, 100% was probably not true. And so, we were continuing to learn. And so, uh, batch two, we now we're into the spring of 2017. So, that's just another year of distilling under our belt. I mean, we were learning more. We were also experimenting more. We, I think uh, we were starting to change cooperages uh, um, and, you know, a little bit of the grain supply was changing. So there was just some evolutions that were continuing to happen. And uh, I think you'll continue to see that as we, as we move into batch, you know, three and beyond. So it'll just be fun to kind of watch the evolution of our distillery. And then eventually we'll get to, you know, a couple years from now when there are whiskeys that Lauren has been having a hand in the actual, you know, sourcing of the raw ingredients and coming up with the mash bills and helping to to, to do all that. So, yeah, you'll just see this fun continued evolution through time for us. So, I'm excited for it.
0: Yeah, it's the, the packaging is great. The juice is it, it's just it's so so good. It, it's so so good. Um, decision on the the four grain was that conscious like that you wanted to do a four grain for the bottled and bond.
2: Yeah, I mean, so the, so the bourbon, almost all of our mash bills are four grain. We have wheat in most of our, you know, in addition to rye and barley. So that, that, that was a four grain the previous year as well. Uh, the rye, that was pretty unusual. So sometimes the math doesn't work out and we end up with an extra bag. We do two, uh, generally we do two super sacks of grain per day and that's a batch for us. And those are usually about 2,000 pounds each. So a 4,000 pound batch, give or take. And uh, but usually trucks come in odd increments. And so sometimes there's a leftover bag of something and we had a leftover bag of corn. And so we did a, a corned uh, rye. We've done a few of those over the years, not much. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that, that uh, the high corn rye is a thing, it's great. Um, I, I, I definitely enjoy them, but that's not really what we wanted to do here. So we focus on a really high rye mash bill typically for our rye blends. And so we just don't do a lot of corn typically, but we have these available. Lauren and I tasted through them. I, I think we had four barrels available and they were just delicious. So we're like, heck yeah, let's put those in because we can, you know, because this is gonna be a seasonal release and, and it'll be different next year. And it's just kind of a, it was fun, you know? And I think it, it wasn't a lot, but you know, those four barrels and 55, you know, they added just a little, little extra nuance to the blend. So it was fun. Cool.
0: Um... To me, this brand, it, I'm a music nut, and there are certain bands that I love that people never heard of. And then when you meet somebody who's like, hold steady, they're really good. Like, okay, we can be friends because you know this cool, quirky brand, band. That's kind of how I view Redwood. Of Like, there are people who come into my store, and I sell them on and go, oh, I've never heard that. I'll, I'll try it. And then there are people who go, yeah, I've had that, that's really good. And they go, oh, we're going to be friends. And I, to me, it's like this kind of cool whiskey drinkers handshake of if you get Redwood, you're kind of in the know and you're cool. Like, how do you guys see the brand like
2: as sort of this cool thing? Are you going for bigger? That's tough. That's a great question. First of all, I love that analogy. And that's, I mean, for us to be able to, to get that word of mouth out there, that's really it's been huge for us. I mean, we launched this, the, the brand, you know, really the the big launch with the three core white label SKUs in fall of 19, not knowing what the future was going to bring for us. And then six months later, COVID hit. And so it was kind of a crazy time to launch a brand. And we obviously suffered on some aspects, but we had to pivot and we just moved to a hundred percent retail sales model. Uh, but because of everybody staying home and, having a little extra time and probably drinking a little bit more for better, or for worse. And, and using all this social media, we we kind of started to get this fun little buzz about us. And it was really, it was pretty cool. I mean, we didn't really consciously do that. We, we tried to feed it where we could. And we were obviously, you know, responding to inquiries and and social media and whatnot. But it was just kind of this thing that really organically happened. So. So, yeah, I mean, we definitely want to continue to foster that. I mean, that's, I think most brands would dream of something like that, where you, you have a, a bit of a cult following that are actually seeking you out versus you trying to push, you know, spirit down people's throats. So it, it's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I don't think we intended it to that level. I mean, we obviously are going for kind of this, this um, you know, boutique Northern California. Vibe, and I think you know we, we play into it well with where we're at and kind of our production methodology and whatnot. But it's it's one thing to try to lay that out there; it's another thing when it kind of develops organically. So it's been it's been amazing for us. Uh, so we're we're trying to just gently foster that, but we also do have uh, pretty uh, pretty large goals for where we want to go and where we want to grow. And so um, you know we're we're going to try to try to walk that tightrope as we move through time. Uh, we're pretty limited. With this still, um, pointing out behind me, our, our, our continuous column that we have currently, it'll only do about eight to 900 barrels a year. We're gonna push it a little bit more next year because we've got some additional staffing now, uh, but there's just the, that's kind of the cap we can do. And that's, so that's a little less than 20,000 nine liter cases a year. And so we're pretty limited on what we can do in-house here We've, we, we have sourced and continue to source a lot of whiskey from other places in the U.S. Uh, over time. But if we really want to grow the California component of it, we need a bigger distillery. And so that's kind of our next phase. Uh, we're, we're actively looking for a new home. We have actually a, a beautiful 24-inch uh, Vendome picked out that's twice the diameter, twice the height, and really about nine times the output. Uh, so that will really be a huge game changer for us. And so the hope is to have that up and running by early 2024, and then that's for Lauren and myself. That's the really exciting time because that's when we really get to start to shape the next you know decade of Redwood Empire and really California whiskey for that matter. Because we'll be able to lay down you know five to seven thousand barrels a year and really become a significant player. And so that's what I'm excited for. Um, you know I, what that does to our branding. You know we'll see. I mean, our goal is to is to be accessible. And that's something we've always strove for. Like you said, you know, Lost morning is, it, you know from the, from the price point is something that delivers. And that's hopefully something that we can always have available is, is different products that deliver at their respective price points, incredible value. You know, that's just something that we're, we, we go for. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll be able to do so many more cool things. I love single malt and I'm really excited. We're gonna launch a, a little bit of uh, single malt next year uh, you know, American style, you know, hundred percent unpeated, uh, with some fun specialty malts, probably next fall. And I want to do more of that. I just wish we had more still time. And so the goal is to, once we get up and running with the bigger equipment to probably just dedicate this thing to running single malt all the time. And so, and then maybe we can do some more brandy and some other projects along the way. So, uh, yeah, so I'm really excited for that and we'll, we'll see how that, how our brand evolves with that.
0: How much house space do you have?
2: Mm. We have quite a bit right now here. We have, um, we have about 6,500 barrels on site. Uh, we own about 15,000 uh, barrels in total. The rest are in places you know, like Indiana and Kentucky still. And I like them to live there at least for a couple of years. Uh, w- Kentucky whiskey has to actually technically live in Kentucky for the first year. That's a Kentucky state law, which is pretty fun. They want to get some taxes out of you, and I, I mean, I wouldn't move it anyways. I'm not. saying like I'm going to use it. So, uh, so we t- we keep things offsite for a few years. But um, yeah, I and mean, that's part of our build-out process. Uh, we're going to need the ability to store thirty to forty thousand barrels of whiskey um, pretty quickly, too. Like once the new still gets up and running, we'll be producing at least five thousand barrels a year. And for the first four years, those are there's nothing happening with those barrels. They're just they're all getting filled and put away. So, uh, yeah, we're going to, that's a big part of our current dis- discussions right now is, is how do we design our Rick houses? Uh, you know, floor considerations, spacing, temperature control, kind of playing through all those things. Uh, we don't get very hot here. We do get in the 90s for, you know, a month or two here or there. Uh, but by and large, we're pretty temperate. We don't really, we might freeze a couple times a year. So we're kind of in between that. So Uh, we we try to encourage a little bit of heat where we can, but we just accept that we're a little bit more temperate. So things are going to take a little bit longer. We're going to have a lot less loss because because of that. So we can wait a little bit longer and our angel share is not going to be as brutal and we just, you know, give it a little bit more time. So that's kind of our strategy that we've employed so far uh, for aging. Uh, We're mostly palletized now. So we're storing whiskey on its head with the bung drilled in the top. And that allows us to stack up, you know, typically four pallets at a time. It makes a nice tight cube. Uh, I think it's a much safer uh, situation for earthquakes, which we're pretty concerned about being here in Northern California. So uh, that's kind of the way our rick house is, is in today's world is is kind of uh, top fill palletized by and large. We have a lot of rack as well with some of our other suppliers use rack to do, do side fill. And so we put them on racks. I was gonna ask you that geeky question. Is there a difference in stand
0: up barrels as opposed to lay down barrels? Does it have any effect on the aging?
2: I, I don't think so. I mean, I think MGP started doing it in like 17. And so we've started putting that into blends early on. I, 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 I thought that maybe those they had a little higher loss in those barrels, but I think part of it's too was where they're storing them. They're storing them in big open metal sheds versus their traditional brick buildings. So I think that's, that's lending more to the accelerated aging than anything else. Um, I, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. We've tasted a lot. I don't really get much flavor difference. Um, I mean, if anything, you're out of, if your top fill, you're out of one of the heads pretty much right away because you fill a barrel with new make and you've lost a couple of gallons into the wood right away. And so you're going to drop below that top head and really not be touching that top head going forward. Typically the heads aren't as heavily charred uh because they fall apart. And so if anything, you probably have a little bit more char contact than you would on a side fill. So I mean, scientifically that's kind of what we talk about. I mean, you, you know, uh in reality, we don't really get I, don't, I haven't really seen a whole lot of difference uh in the top fill versus the side fill. The conven- they're hugely more convenient because they they arrive, the empty barrels arrive on their, you know, stacked up palletized and we don't have to manually unload a truck which barrels kind of suck to deal with i mean even an empty barrel weighs over 100 pounds yeah. and whiskey barrels unlike wine barrels are not pretty they don't put the extra time and money into them so they're not filed down they're it's rough wood splinters and then metal shavings and so they're they're bare to deal with and so if we can have them come in already palletized and pull them in fill them already palletized put them away palletized empty and palletized, you know and not have to be physically moving, rolling around barrels, it, it saves us a lot of time and, and, and heartache. So um, from that standpoint, it's it's much easier. That makes sense. Makes sense.
0: All right, so we've done baseline bottled in bond. Next up, the new release is gonna be cask
2: strength. They're coming next month. Yeah, they uh, they are in bottle. Uh, so they bottled a couple weeks ago. Um, this is... Uh, this is Lost Monarch. Uh, yeah, so they went with kind of a nice rich, it's really a brown. It's hard to see on the screen, but it's really like a dark chocolate brown and gold riding. And so it's an inverse of the white on color um, of our core offering, which I think is great. I mean, it's very distinctive, it stands out. And um, they're going to be all right around 117 proof. Um, you know, they're, they're all going to be slightly different. The Lost Monarch, at least this first batch, is going to be 117.2. The Pipe Dream's 116.8, the Emerald Giant's a little bit lower, 116.4, but they're all right kind of in that, you know, a little less than or a little more than 117. And, that, and that's because our blends natively are about that uh, blended proof. So what we're doing in-house, uh, by and large, we're, we're laying down at about 110. Uh, that's just that's something that we did a lot of reading early on, and I really like the way 110 works for us. It ends up being less water at the end of the day, when you're proofing back to whatever your bottle proof is going to be, so uh, we go into at 110, and we're pretty we're we're dry to humid here, so we get a little bit of an alcohol pop. So we're usually coming out 114, 115 after five years. Most of the Indiana stuff, uh, it's all entered at 120, and I, it almost always goes down. Uh, usually, it goes down at least a couple of proof points. Sometimes it goes down five and even more. Uh, and then the Kentucky stuff it usually holds proof and maybe goes up a little bit. And sometimes it goes up a lot, but it's on average, it's holding, maybe going up a little bit. And so blended out, we're typically in the high teens or right around 120, depending upon the blend. Uh, And that's kind of historically where our, our blends have been. Once we harvest all these barrels from the different distilleries, including ourselves, you know, put this blend together and mix it. And that's usually where they're at natively before we start uh, touching it down to get to the the 90 proof which is our core uh, proof so and i mean that from batch one on that's been our process and i always would be would grab a bottle of that stuff and bring it home because it's freaking delicious right you know especially being a distiller we drink things a little hot this is what we're used to i mean we do, we drink alcohol for a living right so I'm, i have a little bit more proof and you can always add water at home depending on what you're doing with it so i would always pull a bottle and so pretty early on i started advocating for let's Let's do a cask strength version of these. We have a Martian tank. It's a this is a pretty easy thing to execute, and this category is not going away. And I just think it's fun and exciting. So I've been advocating for it for a while, and, and with the success of the core brands, it uh, really lent itself to being able to do this. So so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna uh, get those to market uh, probably in November. You'll start to see those trickling the market. We didn't do a lot for batch one. It's going to be about a thousand uh, six packs of of uh, each. And uh, so those, those will probably mostly go to retail and they'll be available for a little while and then we'll see how they do. And then I'm hoping that's something that will be available on a little bit more regular basis. Um, I, again, I think this cast drink world that we're, we're in now is, is cool. I mean, it's really fun to taste things that weren't their native proof. Uh, and so I think you'll see more of that from us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough that you shared them with me a couple months back. And then when Isaac was around recently, he gave me some samples and I got to retaste that monarch uh, at cast to me,
2: it highlights the rye even more. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty wild. Like it, it definitely comes out more dominant on the palate, but it's just so delicious. Like I when you're when you're adding water to a big blend in the distillery, we we try to do it slow and carefully, but when you add water to alcohol. A chemical reaction happens and, and things volatilize. The, the, the temperature of the liquid goes up quite a bit. And you know, you get some volatilization, which you know, so you get some aromatics blowing off. And so if you don't do that and you get to do that in your home, or you don't do it at all, you just you end up with more in the glass in the bottle, you know, that that then you get to play with on your own. So I think they just they end up being definitely obviously more alcohol concentrated, but for sure more flavor concentrated as well. All right, and then the last one, Haystack. Yeah, Haystack. Uh, so Haystack is our um, is our barrel program. It's, it's a, a very old, uh, you know, for the most part, single barrel and then we do some barrel finish. So we're in a winery, so we have access to some really fun wine barrels. And so uh, early on, in our, in our uh, lives, in the distillery, uh, we talked our owner into going out and buying some pretty old MGP. I think it was like eight or nine years old at the time. And then we just said, hey, we're gonna lay it down or you know continue to lay it down. We'll bring it here so it stays in California. we got an idea of what we got and just hold on it. And so I've got to watch this this uh, beautiful you know bourbon continue to evolve over the years. And just get better and better. And so that goes into Pipe Dream and into Lost Monarch. Uh, But we we talked about doing something else with it. And so, uh, again, in 19, uh, perfect timing, uh, we we decided to launch with the the launch of the new labeling a a cast strength, you know, kind of single barrel program and under that haystack needle. And it started off as a 12-year, and then we've kind of slowly crept it up as it's gotten older. And so this is going to be the last year of it. It's super limited and so people, I I, I get the most questions in market about this and we have the least of it available and we end up having the most discussions and angry people over this tiny thing that we have. And so it's a lot of headache, Uh, but we do uh, uh, 24 barrels for the entire country and they're divided up by region, by sales. Uh, Since they're 14 to now 15 year for the single barrel, you're only getting about 16 six packs for that barrel. Uh, it's, it's a third full, you know, two thirds empty. That's just the, the reality of, of whiskey and barrel. So, so there's not a lot. Uh, and so we do 24, they go out to various parts in the U S and then they're gone. And we launched that. We started launching that fall of 19 and we, we did uh, pretty well again because COVID hit and all of a sudden the collector market got crazy for whiskey and, and we got kind of some buzz around it. And so it's, it got us a nice little pop. And so we did, we've done it. Each year, we've done some pork finish, some cab finish. We did a little Chardonnay finish along the way, a little Zinfandel. We're going to do a little DTC this year and do an apple brandy finish that will be available uh, on our uh, on our website. You can order them, and it'll, it'll go through one of the, uh, the apps out there. Uh, and uh, that'll be available. But then that's it, really, for that liquid. I, I've pulled it all out of barrel now. We have a pretty healthy dose that's in stainless uh, because at 14 it's really at its peak. It's not getting any better. It's getting super concentrated. And so I would rather just hold it at that peak and use that for pipe dream for the next several years. And so we have it in stainless steel, uh, small portable tanks, and we gas those with nitrogen and just dose them into our blends. Uh, but my, my hope and, and, I, and our goal that we're kind of narrowing in on is to relaunch this program with a grain-to-glass uh, barrel Program starting next fall, so I I don't know if the if the packaging is going to stay exactly the same. I think it probably will, uh, but you'll you'll start to see starting next fall haystack as a reinvention, and it'll be 100% in-house distilled and in probably a, a seven-year um, to start and, and a, both a bourbon and a rye because we do both here. And so the the goal is to start morphing it into that for the next uh, for the future. So when we
0: talked about this when we met. When I first opened that bottle, it was tight, and it wasn't great. And then, after a week or two, it was the most amazing bourbon in my collection. What um, is the the reasoning, the science behind
2: that? So, just air needed to get into it. Yeah, I mean, this this, this whiskey's been sitting in a barrel for you know a really long time, and we didn't move it much here, so they've been sitting here for like. Five six years just virtually untouched, and so it just in. We're not adding any water to these. We're not doing much to them. They're just going from really from barrel to bottle, and so uh, it yeah. It, there's just not a lot of, of of you know agitation or or chemical reaction happening to really excite things up. So I think it just takes some of that to. To really open it up so yeah i love uh, opening it up putting it in a glass and then just like walking away for an hour you know forgetting about it maybe even doing like a just a dropper of, of water just to kind of just give it a little bit of a of, of an opening and it's it's pretty wild how they i mean like i said i've had the great fortune to watch this whiskey continue to age over the years and the mgp does amazing stuff that i think that exact juice won whiskey of the year like several years i think old. Uh, Old scout, um, smooth Ambler, I think they had they did a a whiskey under that with that juice that got whiskey of the year. It's it's phenomenal whiskey. I mean, they just I I hope someday that I can have whiskeys that old and and get to play around with them. It's just it's pretty special when you have whiskeys that get into their teens. And that's part of our long-term plan is trying to hold back 10% or so of what we do every year for long-term aging. And so. That'll be the goal for us, but it's, it's, it's pretty special. There used to be a lot more of available, as you obviously know. I mean, you used to be able to get really good stuff for yeah. not a lot, and now you can't get anything. I mean, it's insane. You know, It's, uh, it's gotten really, really competitive out there in the world, but they are very special when you get to try them, uh, those older whiskeys.
0: So that bottle that I have, is that
2: Scattered Peaks Barrels? It be- if it's a Cab Finish, it would be Scattered Peaks, yeah. <laughs>
0: Which is
2: Fantastic. Yeah, so single fill, French oak, you know, beautiful, very, very expensive, you know, oak barrels, and yeah, the cab this year was really phenomenal too, we really liked the cab this year, so, uh, but there, I apologize if you don't get your hands on it, but don't feel bad, most people don't, it's not yeah. like, it's not like we do a ton of it, I, the hope is that we can do a significantly more next year, because we have more of our grain to glass, and you're just going to net a lot more per per barrel. If we're talking a seven-year-old from us, it's probably going to be more like 30 to 35 six-packs versus at 16. So uh, yeah, so the hope is that we'll start to launch more of that. It's just, it's going to be younger, but, you know, think our ball and bond plus with a couple of years more aging, and I think it'll be, it'll be, it'll be fun.
0: Yeah, cool. I like the the accelerating price points and, and, and offerings. It's, just absolutely fantastic uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer I do want to ask quickly Venom's gin are you yep. doing that as well is that
2: yeah I mean that was that was my first baby right so you know we, we built the distillery and launched it so Derek could make gin and put his name on it and so we spent all of 2015 playing and prototyping and tasting a ton of gin and uh, you know really wanted to do something citrus forward we're based you know, kind of the heart of this really fun agricultural area in Sonoma County, and we grow uh, Meyer lemons here, and they grow very well. I actually have several trees in my backyard, and so a lot of what's in Benham is coming from my yard. We hand uh, zest and distill that fresh. Actually, you know, for on the video side here, if this is our gin still on the um, this side here on the left side, and so we vapor distill. It's 12 botanicals, each one individually distilled, so we put individual botanicals in this And these uh, uh, vapor baskets, and then pass the the alcohol and vapor form through it. And then we're able to hot swap from basket to basket. So when we're running citrus, you know, it goes in there for eight minutes. And then after eight minutes, it's really started to lose. It's really bright, you know, fresh, you know, uh, crisp flavors and it's starting to get a little bitter. And we don't want too much of that. So then we switch over to the next basket. So it's this really fun style of making gin where we're very precise and very flavor driven. And we do that for each of the 12 botanicals, and then we blend them in a tank and slowly proof it down over the course of a few weeks. So it's really a really fun way to make gin very unique. It allows us to add things like peppermint that are not in many gins because it's hard to get peppermint right, and it can get really vegetal and funky if you overcook it. But we're doing that at like six minutes. And so, yeah, so it's a super unique, fun, bright gin. Uh, I'm hoping with on-premise opening up again, that'll be something that we'll start to see more of in market. Gin's always been... Uh, more of an on-premise play. You see it more, you know, cocktails and whatnot. It's hard for a consumer to go out and sight unseen buy a bottle of gin. It's just, it's just not, they'll buy whiskey all day long, right? And you know it. I mean, you're out there, you know, you're doing it. But to, to get somebody to buy a bottle of gin that they don't know anything about is tough. Like, and they're usually cheaper than whiskey, like 30 bucks. Like what's the worst that can happen? But people are very intimidated by gin on shelf. And so it's been a bit of a struggle for us, but our, our, our goal is to really, you know, go after it heavily on premise and get cocktail mixologists talking about it so that we can really drive some more interest to it. And then this one. Oh yeah.
0: I'm in love with. Uh, what is the barrel that it's finishing?
2: It's a Zinfandel barrel. So it's a year in Zinfandel. Uh, we played around early on, and and that was something I just really liked a lot. You know, versus the other, the Cab was overly aggressive. The Pinot was interesting, but the Zin just had a nice spice to it. And yeah. so they're much, they're pretty old Zin barrels, so they don't have a lot of oak to offer. It's more just kind of this mass, you know, uh, maturation process. It almost gets like a rancio quality, where like gets this fun aging quality to it, and the citrus gets uh you know it's it's almost like a uh you know stewed or you know pickled or you know it's 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 definitely a different flavor profile I get more like orange than I do like fresh lemon so it's fun so it's a year in those barrels and then it's uh it goes in at 110 it comes out a little bit lower and then it uh would proof it down to 96 so it's just a fun complete hand sell like we're not going to light the world on fire with barrel gin but uh it's fun I've got
0: some customers who love it. So I just got another case in last week.
2: Nice, thank you. Well, thanks for supporting that. I, it, that was a passion project for me. I, For like six months, I was playing around with it and I couldn't get approval. And finally, I just put some in barrel because that's just sometimes what you have to do. And and I went back and I asked like after you know six months, I was like, hey, can we talk about that barrel gin now? They're like, well, let's get Ben's a little more time. I'm like, well, you should know that I have, you know, Five barrels of gin full right now. And they're like, "What? Like, are we better taste that?" And they're like, "Oh, well, this is pretty good." So they're like, "Okay, we can do a small release." So, yeah, so it's something pretty limited we do, but it's fun. I mean, we gotta we, us distillers have to get to play a little bit, right? You know, absolutely, absolutely.
0: So yeah, what's what's in the future? What's coming out for products? What are you guys working on? You mentioned brandies. Is that going to be something coming to market, or are you just playing?
2: Uh, I hope so. I mean, single malt will, for sure is next. That will be the next thing we launch. You know, next fall we're talking about. We we don't have a lot to offer every year. We do about a month of it, kind of split throughout the year. Uh, so we have you know we have a nice healthy dose. Uh, we have some really fun different mash bills we've done over the year because we've got some you know local malt house right down the road that does these beautiful malts. We've brought in different malts from different parts of the country as well. And so um, so that will be a really fun kind of blended single malt, 100% from us, but different mash, you know, different malts from different places in the U.S. So that's coming. Uh, and then, again, with the, the new distillery build-out, I really want to grow that more. Uh, you know, probably a weeded bourbon. And then outside of whiskey, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we laid down a lot of brandy early on because we are a distillery in a winery, and we're like, hey, let's do some of this. And so early on, uh, before we really got the whiskey focus, uh, we, we laid down a couple years of grape brandy and then we followed that up with a couple years of apple brandy and a little bit of pear brandy. And I think those are wonderful. So I would love to do more of that. It's just, again, it's a, um, it's a still time thing. So as we have this new still open up, I think you'll see more of that. Um, when and how that, that enters the light of day, who knows? I mean, the goal is to have a tasting room in our new build out. So if nothing else, we'll be able to sell a lot of these fun things out of the tasting room while we kind of get some traction for them. That would definitely, definitely be cool. Yeah, um,
0: yeah I don't want to keep you, I got just one more thing to show you, something we started doing here since the Bottled and Bond come in. We've got yeah. kind of the Bonded Monarch. So okay. we're 60% of oh. the Bottled and Bond rye, 40% of the bourbon, because it's just a little easier to measure that way. Yeah, yeah. And then we blended them together, made a little glass here.
2: And it it's perfect. I have not tried that believe it or now. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, any plans to do like a Jack Daniels triple mash, like a
2: bourbon rye single malt bottling? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, you know, sky's the limit. You know, yeah. we're always looking for suggestions. So yeah, what what would that look like? What would you uh,
0: Jack Daniels just did a bonded triple mash? It was their bourbon, their whiskey, their rye, and their single malt.
2: Uh, so, so distilled and barreled separately and then blended, so yep. they're just calling it a a triple mash whiskey. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, that'd be fun. Yeah. I mean, I like like we talked about with the start of this. I love the aspect of blending. I think it's kind of gotten beat down over the years, but now I think it's it's starting to be elevated again. You're starting to see more of that because there's just so much so much art to it that is. It really takes a long time to learn. I spend more and more of my time just. Tasting through stuff and watching things over time, and so um, yeah, I mean, to the extent that that consumers were, will be more and more open to letting us do non-traditional things, I think it's going to be super exciting. Uh, you're going to see things like that. So I would love to do that. What do you look
0: for when you're tasting through barrels? Are you
2: looking for mouthfeel, certain flavor notes? I mean, we start with the nose. You know, the nose is the the, the nose is never going to steer you wrong. It it, it might uh it might not give you the whole picture but it's going to give you some directional pictures so pretty pretty much right off we can we can pick out there's just some barrels that, that seem to be a little bit stalled versus the average and so you can kind of isolate those out and those are just a little bit muted for some reason they're just they're not working as hard some they just need some more time and so you know start with the nose and then yeah then you just get into tasting and and Um, you know, we try not to taste too many at once, obviously, but, uh, yeah, you're just looking for things that are exceptional. I'm just, I continue to be baffled by, you can lay down, you know, like for us, a typical lot is a week and that's usually like 16 to 18 barrels. And you can lay those barrels down, lay that whiskey. It's all blended together in a tank. You fill 16 barrels and technically it's the same exact wood. And then you leave it, you know, and then four years later you come back and they taste radically different and it's just crazy it's the same liquid and the same wood, but there's so much variation in that, that uh, barrel, you know, those different staves that it just creates a ton of different inflection points. So it's just fun to taste through them. And, and then when you get to every once in a while, you get those honey barrels. And then, like, you come around the, the distillery here and you'll see the recounts. There's some that are chalked, you know, that are just like those will probably never see the light of the day because we just keep thiefing out of them and, and they're slowly disappearing over time. But yeah, every once in a while, you just get that liquid gold in a barrel, and it's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. All right. I
0: will let you go. I think I've kept you for about an hour now. So
2: yeah, this is perfect. Hey, I really appreciate your time and and thank you so much for continuing to support us. It was, it was so great to go back out and market for the first time in quite a while and, and see such great support of our, of our brands. I mean, I just, when we first started, I was out there begging people to try, please try this. So, you know, it's, I know it's from California, but just try it. And now, you know, going back to the market two years later and seeing this like groundswell of excitement we've had around us, uh, and it's really all due to to people like yourselves that have really taken our brand and, and embraced it. And, uh, you know, we're so uh, thankful for that because it's just awesome. It allows us to keep doing what we're doing. And, and it just makes for really exciting times. Yeah. I, I think for me, it's, it's easy because, you know, when, it
0: was brought to me. The product was good. I thought the packaging was cool. I, you know, I was all in. And then I get to meet Derek, who is... He's one of a kind. He's, he's <laughs> amazing. He was great, you know. And I got a sense of the passion behind it that as much as he wants to make money, obviously, is, is running a business, he wants to put good product in the hands of people that they can enjoy and afford. And then getting to meet you and that passion behind it just takes my love for this brand to another level because the people behind it are just as good as the product inside the bottle.
2: I love it. Yeah. Now we got Lawrence so and I mean, she, her passions are amazing. And so, and she comes from a very small, very craft distillery. And so she continues to challenge me and provide inputs and, 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 and elevate us even more. So it's just, it's super exciting. So we're uh, it's fun, man. My job does not suck.
0: Awesome. The future
2: looks good. All right. I will let you go. Hey, I appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. We'll have a glass together next time I'm out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Have a good evening.
1: All right.
0: All right, guys. That was it. Jeff Duckhorn. How amazing was that? That was awesome. Uh, thank you guys so much for watching. Sorry I didn't kind of see all the comments. I was trying to uh, focus in over here. Um, but yeah, that was that was great. Bottle of is in stock. Cash strength. You heard him say it. Not going to be a ton of it out there. Uh, we'll be limited, but I know I know you guys will be looking for it. So I'll try to get as as much as I can for you. Uh, and then the last sort of version of Haystack coming out by the end of the year. All right. I'm going to wrap it. I'm going to go drink the rest of this. Thank you guys again for being there and watching. Thank you again to Jeff Duckhorn. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Cheers, guys.